Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week, I sat down with Marissa Gavami, who shares her personal healing journey, which led to the creation of a 501c3 organization called Healing Tree, dedicated to healing trauma through resources, education, and entertainment. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while or have been a part of EAC since its inception, you will know that these conversations around mental health and wellness are a huge part of the ethos and inception of why this was all really created to begin with, was to provide the resources and destigmatize these conversations that are really important to sustaining our careers and more importantly, our human selves in this long journey that we are hopefully on in our lives and as artists. Marissa does such a wonderful job of bringing stats and resources and tools and breaking down larger concepts and questions and concerns and feelings all around this topic and has therefore in this episode been in and of itself an incredible resource. With that said, this episode is around mental health, so please take care of yourself as you listen. Seeing as Healing Tree is dedicated to healing trauma, we distinguish the differences between big T and small t traumas and the impact of cumulative life stressors. We also explore the significance of body-based work and the importance of different therapeutic modalities beyond talk therapy that are available for those seeking help. We share the significance of accessing care and resources, especially through the work that Healing Tree is doing and how artists can engage in this healing to deepen their own growth, their personal wellness, and hopefully create meaningful change. Enjoy. Marissa Gavami, hi. Hi, Jennifer Apple. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I don't think anybody's ever like given it right back to me because I do say people's really? full names. <laughs> I don't think oh, so. Wow, that surprises me. Hi. For anybody who doesn't know you, who are you today? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Marissa Gavami, like you said, and I'm an Iranian-American queer artist, advocate, and creator. I'm based in New York City. And who I am today, in this moment, oh, gosh. I'm a human being. I'm trying to live into more of the being and not the doing all the time. I am very busy in this moment. I'm very excited to be here. And also I am in a million places at once, it feels like. So it's a really great practice and presence, actually. It's an opportunity and invitation for me to just lean into what about this moment right now. And um I'm someone who's just really interested in all of the things that you talk about on your podcast. So I'm someone who's very grateful and excited to be here. Yes. I love naming the difficulty of balance (laughs) and um, presence. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like that may be my, also my like life's work is just to see how I can continue doing all the things I want to do and also have to do while being present with what needs to be done or where I am in that moment. So good on you for naming it. Yeah, totally. And and it's hard for artists too, because I feel like, you know, if you're in, I don't know, corporate America and you get like a job opportunity that you've been wanting for a long time, typically it's going to kind of flow. Your old opportunity will flow out. This one will flow in. But as an artist, you can get 10 things at once. And we're not necessarily choosing when when these things are coming. So it's easy to sort of have that pile up. 
So I think that it's, it's good that we all sort of name it and just say, hey, even when we are in a positive state and a lot of things that we've been wanting are coming to us, it can still be stressful. It can still yeah. have positive stress, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Because it's, it's so, I mean, I feel like at least in the zeitgeist, we tend to focus on the lacking of yes. when there's the lack of opportunities, yes. the lack of things to be doing, or yes. the opportunities don't seem to be coming at the rate that you want it to be coming rather mm-hmm. than sometimes it does rain and pour in all sorts of ways. And then what happens in that form of chaos yeah. um, is a different kind of navigation, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so grateful that you're in the space and I'm excited oh. to see where this conversation goes. Um, I would you. love to just chat a little bit about the impetus for us being here today is your organization Healing Tree. And I'm curious um, if you are comfy talking about that origin story a little bit, what it is, how it serves this community and all of that good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored and grateful to talk about it. So Healing Tree is a 501c3 nonprofit. It stands for Healing Trauma, Resources, Education, and Entertainment. We advocate healing from abuse and trauma rather than coping with the symptoms in order to transform lives and ultimately society. We achieve this by providing trauma-focused resources and education and by producing and partnering with relevant film, television, and theater to create the social change necessary for a healing movement. So that is our mission statement Uh, in a nutshell. So good. Um, So good. Even before you go into this, I just (laughs) want to name that this conversation may bring up some difficult things. It might be emotionally impactful. And so just whoever's listening, take care of yourself how you need to um, as we navigate through it. Yeah? Absolutely. And I'll try to keep it uh, not triggering. Um, right. Of course, we don't know what is is going to be activating for an individual person, 100%. right? It, it's different for all of us and on different days too. So yeah. I'll do my best to to keep it not so triggering. Um, and and if something happens, please like feel into your body, feel into what's happening. You know, yeah. uh, slide into the sensation, breathe, give yourself yeah. a hug, give yourself Love some it. tea, na- name a few objects that you see and what color they are. You know, all yeah. all of these grounding tools. Yeah. Um, So yeah, as I was saying, that's what Healing Tree is in a nutshell. Um, I founded it nine years ago. It's actually, oh my gosh, I missed our birthday. That's how busy I am. On September 16th, it was our ninth birthday. Um, And so I founded it when I was a a little baby. It's really wild now when I meet people who are the age I was when I founded it Mm -hmm. to think I like had the audacity to do this thing then. And I I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, even now I feel like I don't, but I definitely do. Who does? I mean, Um, no one really has any idea. That's it. Yeah. And I, I kind of think that that's, that's kind of special too. You know, mm-hmm. if you just need to do something so badly, you do it, even if, even yeah. if it feels like jumping off a cliff. So that's definitely what it was. Um, I founded it along with my mother and my former therapist. Wow. I founded it after a five-year healing journey. So in my late adolescence, I had some really severe trauma, um, some big T trauma, which we'll get into in a bit, yeah. hopefully maybe. Um, and just, what I mean by get into it is the definition of that versus small T. So I had some really significant, very weird, (laughs) big T trauma. Um, And at the end of this two-year period of this trauma, I was left pretty unrecognizable. I'll Mm. spare the details of how it happened, but by the end of it, um, I really was beyond a shell of myself. Mm. My irises were a different color. The actual blue in my wow. eyes had changed colors. I had cystic acne. I was so hunched over. I looked about three or four inches shorter. Wow. Um, I 
I've always had sort of a lower speaking voice and I spoke way up here. Um, I found it hard to make eye contact, couldn't shake somebody's hand, you know, just all of these normal things that we take for granted. Um, I just was operating in a very different space. I was in what's called a 24 hour flashback. So if you think of how we typically hear about flashbacks, maybe a war veteran who, you know, on 4th of July gets triggered by a loud sound, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the type of abuse I was um, suffering from for two years, uh, everything was quote unquote wrong. So Mm -hmm. everything was a trigger. I mean, going outside, watching secular television, listening to secular music, having art on the walls or books on the shelf, makeup, certain, you know, jewelry. um, uh, I mean, certain types of food, you know, just everything was wrong. So when I got out, the world was a trigger. So I was in a 24 hour flashback. Um, I was essentially just stuck on a loop that was a very brainwashed loop and Mm -hmm. really prevented me from having any sort of meaningful, real contact with my loved ones who were desperately trying to help me. Um, And I was really just not myself, scarily not myself. And so thank God I got with a trauma expert. My mother, Debbie Gavami, hopefully will be listening to this one day when it comes out. Um, Debbie is amazing. And so she was really a fierce advocate. I mean, she basically acted like I was a newborn and didn't sleep. She was up at all hours doing research, trying to find the absolute best care, the absolute best treatment modality, the best books, the best everything in order to sort of help me return to who I was and who she had always known me to be. And um, I was 19 when I got out and and she was kind of great in that she didn't really give a shit about HIPAA. She didn't care that I was under that I was not under 18. And she would just go into the sessions and take the papers from me and write, help me help my daughter. It would be like all of these really intense questions. And she would just take a Sharpie and be like, help me help. And uh, she basically just demanded a really wonderful care and did the research to say, hey, I think think this modality is better. I think that modality is better. How lucky you had that support. Oh my God. It's the biggest privilege in the world. And I think that that's, I mean, I'll I'll talk about it in a second, but I think recognizing that privilege is Mm -hmm. what made me start this nonprofit because not only do most people not have that, I would say most people have the opposite. Most people's trauma comes from childhood. So while I certainly had some small T trauma in childhood, I don't want to act like it was perfect. It was not. Um, The significant trauma happened much later. And I have a lot of love from both of my parents. So um, essentially, I got with a therapist who was trained in trauma-focused treatment modalities, um, who had been working in spaces of trauma for many years. And not just as the buzzword. Now we hear trauma-informed like a lot. And a lot of therapists are saying they are when... Uh, maybe they're not actually trained in modalities Mm -hmm. that engage the part of the brain that's injured during trauma. So it's kind of like, uh, maybe not the best that they're saying it. It's a little misleading. Uh, Not that they're meaning to be, but the field really needs to catch Mm -hmm. up. And so this therapist, um, you know, he really got it. And so he was telling me things like, hey, this is a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. Um, It's about what happened to you, not what's wrong with you. And he was introducing concepts like neuroplasticity and epigenetics. So instead of telling me, hey, you have a cluster of symptoms that look like DID, schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline, um, OCD, gosh, what else? Or saying, go to a doctor and get a diagnosis for lupus, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic fatigue, any of these things. I could have been misdiagnosed as easily in the wrong hands. That's not Mm -hmm. even a doubt in his mind, my mom's mind, my mind, anyone's mind. Um, He was saying things like, yeah, you know, you're, you're having these symptoms. And I think it's it's really normal based on what you went through. And neuroplasticity or your brain's ability to reorganize itself even into adulthood 
is just a scientific fact. It's not a hippie theory. Um, mm -hmm. It's just neuroscience. And so, you know, your neurons that are firing and wiring together right now, those synapses can be broken, new ones can occur, and you can rewire your brain. You don't have to stay like this. And epigenetics, again, neuroscience. So he was saying, even if you have a genetic predisposition, okay, you had an uncle who struggled with mental illness, or, you know, your mom struggled with anxiety or depression, whatever it was, right? He was acknowledging those facts. Yeah. And he was also saying, our genes are activated by life experiences and behaviors. So trauma actually changes how our DNA is read. So he was saying things to me like, uh, you know, you may have a genetic predisposition. I, I'm not doubting that. And because you have been through this trauma, those genes are activated and we can deactivate them with healing. So wow. this was remarkable and um, truly a godsend. And frankly, everybody deserves that type of care. Yeah, he sounds so um what's the word i want like not necessarily caring because it is care but he sounds so um aware and sensitive to yeah. verbiage mm -hmm. and how that is also in and of itself a tool for healing yeah. sometimes yeah, or can also yeah. be the antithesis of that but really Absolutely. empowering you with the the ways to refocus Yes. The things that you have been told or taught about what yes. you have been experiencing for yes. change, which is such a yeah. help. And, and I think a lot of people, that's sort of where the, the seed for healing tree began. Because when I started being open with my story, what I noticed is that everyone around me started telling me their story, right? When you're mm -hmm. open, it just sort of elicits openness and those around you who are ready, right? And so what I noticed was that people around me were telling me stories of diagnoses of, say, um, uh, an addiction or say, you know, generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, an eating disorder, whatever, right? All these disorders, right? Yeah. And um, I really like to think of them and, and trauma experts that I follow like to think of them as not necessarily disorders, but a, a response to, to an event or a series of events, right? And so everyone around me was telling me these symptoms, but they were also telling me that they didn't have trauma. They didn't have abuse yeah. and that they were in therapy for many years, maybe on medication for many years, and they were just sort of getting by. And when I actually started, you know, sharing my story, their stories were filled with trauma and abuse. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't acknowledging it as such. And I think that there's a lot of barriers as to, you know, why that was the case. And so I started thinking, well, what if they were given the same treatment I was given? And these are people who were relatively pretty privileged, right? Yeah. Now, then I started thinking about what if people who are experiencing houselessness or people in the prison system or people in foster care, right? What if every person in our country, in the world, ideally, right? Um, now I'm going to get on my like TED Talk soapbox about <laughs> healing the world. Um, but, but genuinely, what if everyone was given this treatment? You know, like when we break a leg, we get a cast and it gets better because it's properly treated. Yeah. When we have some sort of emotional wounding in childhood, oftentimes we don't get proper treatment. Oftentimes we get the opposite treatment we need. We're put on drugs that actually desensitize us to the sensations and the sensations feeling into them is the pathway towards healing, mm -hmm. right? We're given labels that are told that we're broken when really we're having a very normal response to an abnormal circumstance. Mm -hmm. And then with all this improper treatment, we wake up and we're 40 years old and we're like emotionally limping and we're wondering why. Yeah. And so... Um, I just saw that and I thought, this has got to change. So essentially, I just really wanted to volunteer with an organization that got it. Um, I found amazing organizations doing trauma treatment in their area, life-saving work, brilliant work, trauma experts that I just thought, this is 
gorgeous work, but it wasn't a national sort of coalition, if you will. And then I found organizations that were dealing with a certain type of mental illness, say, um, you know, depression or, you know, anxiety, um, or they were dealing with a certain type of abuse, domestic violence or trafficking or child abuse. And what I thought was individual stories are very important and marginalized mm -hmm. communities absolutely deal with trauma the most. But Trauma is a fact of human life. None of us get through life unscathed. And how it impacts the brain, whether it's from war or a natural disaster or emotional neglect or assault is quite similar. And so what we need is to find, uh, and what I thought, find an organization. It ended up being start an organization, but find an organization that is focused on the trauma itself and how to properly treat it. And I wanted it to be not just for you know the, the folks who knew they were suffering, but also for helping professionals to get this proper training, because I learned that 90% of them don't have it, which is mm -hmm. shocking and maddening. Um, and then also for the general public. And that's where the arts come in, because I think what better way to open hearts and minds um, than through entertainment? Oh, boy. Okay, so much here. <laughs> I love all of this. First of all, thank you for being the change that needed to happen and creating this thank thing. You. Yeah, thanks for recognizing that. Um, yeah, I it just, you know, obviously I can imagine there's a lot as the years go by that you're continuously learning and um, unpacking and stumbling over and picking oh, yeah. yourself back up on. I think that's any person's journey doing something hard. Um and the impact of creating a space where there was none so that people can know that this exists is yeah. in and of itself a gift. So first of all, congrats. Um, <laughs> second of all, I would love to just hear in this moment, unpack, as we keep saying, the word trauma. Yeah. Trauma with a capital T versus trauma mm -hmm. with a small T. Um, there is a totally. distinction. And mm -hmm. I feel like it is one of those words in the ether now that gets used and misused mm -hmm. just in the mm -hmm. way that people are talking amongst themselves or with their friends or in community. And it obviously has impact our words and how we yep. use our words. And so getting on the same page about that as we can continue moving through this conversation, I think would be helpful. Yeah, I think that's so important. And the interesting thing is when we're talking about use and misuse, it's sort of like, who is the authority on this, right? 100%. So the DSM, <laughs> the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Illness. We're on the fifth revision right now. I believe two revisions ago, PTSD and the second word is trauma wasn't even under the trauma spectrum. So oftentimes we're looking to these like authorities, right? but they're very outdated. And also that manual was created for insurance purposes. So yeah. we also have to look at like where we're getting this information and, and, and are we comfortable with using that definition or would trauma experts who are actually healing trauma be the ones that we wanna to listen to? But mm -hmm. I'll let people decide that for themselves. I'm not gonna tell them what definition to use. I'm gonna tell them a couple different ones. So the DSM-5 definition of trauma, it requires actual or threatened death serious injury or sexual violence, stressful events not involving an immediate threat to life or physical injury, such as psychosocial stressors, which could be divorce or a job loss, are not considered trauma in this definition. Okay, trauma experts know, and the statistics show, that little t traumas or a broader definition of trauma 
uh, can be not only deeply damaging, but can cause some of the conditions that are in that book. So according to Dr. Jamie Marich, whom I love, I'm, I'm friends with her. I've actually narrated two of her books now that are available on Audible. Um, her company does our EMDR therapy training. She's on our advisory board. She Amazing. co-produced uh, our short film, Silk. Like she, we're, We've been collaborators for over five years, I think. Jamie, if you're listening, hello. So she's an internationally recognized trauma expert. She actually won EMDRIA, which is EMDR. We'll talk a little bit about that modality later, but that's an mm-hmm. evidence-based treatment modality modality for trauma. She won the uh, EMDR International Advocacy Award uh, a couple years back for her work. She has been published many, many times as an author, uh, and she's just really shaking up the field in very exciting ways. So she likes to say that trauma comes from the Greek word meaning wound, and in its most general sense, trauma means any unhealed wound. Um, Another definition that I love is that trauma overwhelms our capacity to cope. That's according to Dr. Judith Herman. Uh, Traumatic events overwhelm the ordinary symptoms of care that give people a sense of control, connection, and meaning. So when we're talking about this small T versus big T, according to Psychology Today, when most people think about trauma, they think about those who have been exposed exposed, to war or combat or natural disasters, physical or sexual abuse, terrorism, catastrophic accidents. These are some of the most profound and some may argue the most debilitating experiences one can endure. This is all from Psychology Today, by the way. However, a person does not have to undergo an overtly distressing event for it to affect them. An accumulation of smaller or less pronounced events can still be traumatic, but in the small T form. So you might want to think of it like um, a leaky roof. So say you have a roof and there's one thunderstorm and there's a flood or you have a leaky roof and there's some rain one day and then maybe there's not and then there's a little bit more rain and then maybe it rains harder then it dribbles right and the damage is still the same right um so those sorts of distressing events that are more small t they're not inherently life or bodily integrity threatening but perhaps better better described excuse me as ego threatening due to the individual left feeling notable helplessness so helplessness is is a big factor of um what can make somebody feel traumatized so that could be like interpersonal conflict infidelity divorce abrupt or extended relocation um legal trouble financial worries or difficulties. Um, A lot of folks would put emotional or psychological abuse um, under that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's it's really, really important to note that um, when we're talking about this difference between what the DSM is recognizing and then what statistics are showing, I think there's one stat that I just have to share. So women experiencing psychological abuse are significantly more likely um, to report poor physical and mental health and to have more than five physician visits in the last year. And psychological abuse is a stronger predictor of PTSD than physical abuse among women. And this is from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So I think that it's really important that when we're talking about this, it's like, all right, if you wanna say that emotional abuse isn't quote unquote traumatic, then why is it a stronger predictor of PTSD than physical abuse? And why does the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence have that statistic, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. First of all, I love that you're prepared. Like my heart is just so happy (laughs) that you're like, I am, I'm here, I'm ready. Here's a quote, here's a stat. Um, here's a resource. I'm you all told about me you it. wanted resources. For I mean, yeah, because I feel like, you know, the thing that can get really icky or I don't, you know, I don't claim to be an expert in anything. I'm very, very good at a lot of things that I have studied and I have a master's degree in a thing. And arguably, I guess, yeah. you know, from an external perspective, that makes me 
quite an quote unquote expert yes. in the thing, but I think me, you've done your 10,000 hours. <laughs> I, oh my God, more. Thank you so much. Um, but there's something about that phrasing for me that I, I don't like to take on, but I mm. do recognize that I, in this space have the capacity to bring on other individuals who have more knowledge yeah. about things that I want to know more about that I would imagine others want to know more about. Um, yeah. and I also think it's important for us to like stick to, um, facts and, yeah. um, things that are real. And I'm going to throw in the word science um, into yeah. the mix. So, you know, exactly. so I'm here for the tools and the resources yeah. that are based in it so that we can then have a conversation that people aren't like, oh, well, they made this up. It's like, well, actually we can refer to this and you can totally yes. disagree with it, but yeah, let me show absolutely. you where it comes from so that we can then begin yeah. to have an actual grounded conversation. I think the thing for me that resonates the most, at least to continue in this conversation, is the idea of the of the accumulation of uh -huh. the small T traumas. Mm -hmm. I think about like my rescue pup Walter, who is the love of my life, who every once in a while I talk about on here. And mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what happened in the year before I, you know, he became my little son. And for the most part, I'm very lucky that he doesn't have what I would imagine is certainly big T trauma, but like as many small T traumas that many of the other foster dogs that I had fostered definitely yeah. 100% did. And we can't talk about it because we just, that's just the thing. And what has been happening recently is loud sounds, especially mm -hmm. the thunders, especially the fireworks have really started to impact him in ways that in the beginning oh. he was sensitive to, but the accumulation over time has now dysregulated his little tiny gorgeous system. And here I am being like, how can I help you be the best, you know, yeah, like right. that you are, yeah. what can I do with your mother <laughs> to protect you? But the accumulation of these things has impacted him over the course of some time. And I say all that to be like, you know, I'm not a dog expert in any way. I like to think I know my son quite well, but um, that little, the little buildup of it has now become directly impactful. Now I'm not equating mm -hmm. humans to dogs, but I just felt like that was like an, in, you know, for me, it's just like an easily yeah. accessible example yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. this is not a life or death, though he might be experiencing it like it is currently. Yes. And I know better as somebody who like has him in my home and he's safe that he will be okay. But for him and his small little tiny body, he doesn't. And how that correlates in a similar vein, I would imagine, to the human experience when we have mm -hmm. these small little things that subconsciously or consciously are impacting our bodies, our psyches, our minds, our hearts, our spirits over a, sp a span of time yes. or even perhaps less a period of time, but more um, intensely over a shortened period of time, mm -hmm. our nervous system becomes dysregulated in a way that perhaps mm -hmm. it's not able to continue either it's combating it or holding it or recognizing that it isn't a danger. And over time, that impact then perhaps could make the small T's an eventual big T. Am I hearing that I, correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think there's a couple things that you touched on. Um, you know, I am not a mental health uh, expert clinician, and that's why I am so sort of fact and stat heavy. Yeah. Because what I want to do is a lot of people over the years have said, you know, would you want to go get your, you know, doctorate or would you want to go get your whatever? And it's a resounding no for me because mm -hmm. I don't think that's why I'm on this earth. I do think that I have a unique ability to talk about these things and make them accessible and shine a light on them. So I just want to take the work that's already there and brilliant and I want to make it, you know, more accessible, accessible for yeah. other folks. I want to shine a light on it. So that I think is really important to note. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, you know, the accumulation, uh, a really good 
way to talk about that is the PTSD stress cup theory, I believe is what it's called. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I have this uh, huge water bottle that everybody makes fun of me for. All my water bottles are gigantic. And uh, if you are listening to this, wherever you listen to your podcasts, imagine a cup that is halfway filled with water or whatever. Um, Say this is childhood stuff. This could be, it doesn't have to be big T, right? It could be not feeling very loved at home. And the fact that that isn't considered big T when the adverse childhood experiences study, which we can talk more about, recognizes that that is an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. And the more ACEs we have, the more likely we are to have the leading causes of death and dysfunction, including cancer. So the fact that, again, like I'm not trying to hate on the DSM, but I do want people to know what we're talking about here, right? So, um, So say your cup is half full and say the water is filled with things like not feeling loved at home, having a parent with a mental illness, which could be as simple as anxiety and depression, which lots of our parents, I think, have, whether or not they're diagnosed with those things, right? Um, It could be having a parent with an addiction, which does not have to be waking up and hitting the bottle. It can be much subtler than that, right? Um, It can be uh, an adverse community environment, right? Like having gang activity or food scarcity. So say you have your cup's about half full. Then say you're not given those treatment modalities that are discharging that trauma, that are taking them, those events, and taking them from short to long-term memory. If that doesn't happen, they sort of stay stuck in short-term memory like they're on a loop. They haven't been digested or metabolized. That's when we see hypervigilance. That's when we see a lot of anxiety, when we see people looking for the other shoe to drop, right? Mm -hmm. We're waiting for something bad to happen again. And then say that there's just life stressors, right? It could be an argument with a partner. It could be a boss who's giving you a hard time. It could be, uh, you know, your car that's broken into, whatever it is, right? The water keeps filling up. Once we get to the top, we're in that overflow state. Mm -hmm. We're in that overwhelm. That's when our capacity to cope is overwhelmed and we can start to become symptomatic. So our symptoms could look different for everyone, right? Like I might tend more towards like anxiety or depression. Somebody else might lash out at someone else. Someone else may control their food intake, right? Mm -hmm. How we're wired and, and our unique stories are all different. But um that is a really good theory to me as far as like the accumulation. So we can help our systems. We can help our equilibrium. We can help our nervous systems reset by engaging in more body-based work that um, actually sort of is is very informed, in my opinion, by the arts. It's very informed by like getting into our bodies. Well, that's kind of what my next question is. Like how, as we're talking about you know, the yeah. mental health sector of things. I mean, I'm asking this kind of rhetorically because I know why you're here, but like yeah, you know, sure, for our sure, listeners, sure. as, you know, artists in the world, how yeah. does this conversation connect to what we do as a craft, as a career, as totally. a life choice in some capacity? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. So as amazing as my mother is and how her work, her advocacy helped save my life 110%, I also think that my background in acting did because I was fortunate enough to go to a youth conservatory. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I went to a place called Walden Theater, now Commonwealth Theater Center. And from the time I was seven, I was rolling around on the ground, feeling my feelings and feeling, you know, (laughs) filling my body up with sand and painting the back wall with the imaginary blue light and yada, yada, all the weird stuff we do in theater school. And um, that really served me. I was also, you know, doing emotional prep and then letting it go and diving into a character and tolerating the tough sensations of a character, allowing myself to be that vulnerable so that the audience could have a catharsis. That was my training. And so because of that, um, when a therapist said to me, you know, 
what are you feeling? What's your negative cognition? And what are you feeling? Where do you feel that on your body? And can you tolerate that sensation? Don't try to change it. Don't try to you know sweep it under the rug. Just observe it and sit with it while we do this modality. That was easy for me because to me, that was acting. I could do that. Yeah. No problem. And a lot of people have been told that the feelings in their body are wrong and they've had to shut off from them. They have yes. started self-medicating, um, whether that's, you know, in a war zone or if the war zone is their own home. They have mm -hmm. learned that to feel their feelings deeply is wrong because when they do feel them, when they stand up for themselves, when they say that makes me mad, that hurts, they're abused more. And so then they've learned to desensitize to them to those parts of themselves. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the body doesn't lie and it doesn't forget so easily. So it's going to be loud until we listen to it. So yeah. that's when we start to see a lot of these unexplained pain conditions or, you know, all of these sort of mysterious illnesses that a lot of people, once they get steeped into the trauma knowledge and start getting that sort of care, those sort of miraculously fall away over time. Um, so what does this relate to acting? I mean, I think, look, as artists, we're our own instrument, right? So if there is something, trauma, <laughs> that is a public health crisis that is widespread, that affects every part of me, it affects how my genes are read and, and expressed, it affects my vagus nerve, my nervous system, it affects, you know, my, my thoughts, it affects my feelings, it affects my relationships, yeah. my behaviors, all of these things, right? And if I'm my instrument, don't you think I might want to take a look at this thing that is permeating yeah. everything, right? Also, by one being more self-aware or curious or um, open about mm -hmm. anything that is potentially happening in one's body and mm -hmm. experience, you are only inevitably at some point when you're healthy and capable and, and willing and able going to be able to hopefully healthily access those parts of yourself to continuously Absolutely. bring them to the roles and the opportunities that you have in the future. So it really is another form Absolutely. of expansion as well. It's, it's so many things. It's, it's yes. And it's that. And it's also just like, you know, when we some see someone who's, whose performance really resonates with us, right. Um, I think it's it's because they're really in their bodies. They're really mm -hmm. present. And I like to think even as a singer, right? I think there's probably a lot of singers who listen to this, um, a lot of like Broadway folks. Uh, you know, as, as singers, when our muscles are tight, right? Our, our sound can't resonate off of our bones. It gets trapped yeah. in those tense muscles. So there's so much with, with trauma living in our muscles and body armor. Or a dancer. Really it's like, I, you know, a like if you have a, my God, like that is the thing. I'm not. So I go to singers. Yes. Sorry. Same. Oh, you dancers. Yes, yes, Same yes. Here. I'm like, um, I was like, I have to include every like multi hyphenate yes, in you, this if we're talking you. about musical theater. Yeah. Please. I mean, then let's let's go multi hyphenate. Let's look at producers thinking about a million things at once, right? Having the brain space to be able to stay focused and to not have symptoms of ADHD, ADD that a lot of folks are diagnosed with as kids. And then you look at the trauma experts and you look at what they say about that, right? So, like, there's so many things. Mm -hmm. um, also, having your nervous system regulated in a business <laughs> where we are getting rejected as the norm. It's expected, even if we're excellent, even if we've hit our 10,000 hours, even if we have our masters, even if we have Broadway credits, even if we have feature film credits, we are getting rejected weekly, right? Yeah. Sometimes daily. And so what does that do to a system that maybe has faced abandonment or has faced abuse or betrayal? What does that just do to a human being, right? Who, who we're tribal creatures, right? So we really have got to have a way that we can reset our nervous systems and discharge that old stuff so that if I don't get 
if Bernie Telsey doesn't like me tomorrow, it doesn't feel like my dad didn't like me when I was two. My dad loves mm. me, so I can use that example. But you know what I mean? I think that it can get, I think it can get really tied in yeah. with our stories in a way. And then people can leave the business, not really because of acting. They still love acting, but it's too triggering. Mm -hmm. And so these things can, healing our trauma can really help us tolerate a business that is um, at times feels like an abusive relationship. Yeah, and then 100%. Our, our instrument. And then yeah. also when you're talking about, you know, some of the the tougher characters that are really tolerating a, a lot, um, I'm, I'm doing a reading soon where, I mean, it's, it's a two-hander and it's really heavy and it's so much trauma. And to be able to tolerate those feelings for me is okay because mm -hmm. of the work that I've done. But for a lot of people who haven't done that work, if they're dipping into their old stuff, even if they're like Meisner trained, which I am, and, and you know, we're not using our real stuff, even if they're just feeling those feelings in their bodies, again, the body remembers, and it can be really challenging um, to tolerate. And then I don't think it's great when we're then feeling traumatized from playing a character. And I actually don't think oh, yeah. that that serves the audience as much either. So for all of the reasons, um, it'll make you better. It'll make you more present. It'll make you able to, to dive into the deeper roles more safely. Yeah. Um, and it'll make you able to tolerate the business more easily. So yeah. like, why not dive in? It's <laughs> like a commercial for healing trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Without getting into the nitty gritty of it, you know, I think when people think about therapy or therapeutic help, yeah. um, now that luckily we're talking about it a little bit more we in are. our conversations, yeah. which is such a wonderful shift in mm -hmm. at least this country, uh, yep. you know, when things are really hard to at least be to talk about it is not stigmatized in the full same way. There's definitely still stigmas and all sorts of stuff that hopefully will continue to, you know, be taken away. But with that said, people tend to think most about, I'd say, talk therapy as the means for um, yeah. uh, healing and also a therapeutic model um, through which one can start to unpack one's, um, you know, small T trauma or large T trauma. So yeah. besides the talk therapy modalities, can we mm -hmm. like very loosely mention perhaps some of the other ones that yeah. as you've been doing this work, you've been either working, collaborating with other people mm -hmm. who do that, or you've seen yeah. with the people you've worked with have been really beneficial. Absolutely. And I, I also want to explain again, back to the facts so that, um, so that people don't think that I'm just like randomly shitting on the DSM and CBT. I do think that cognitive behavioral therapy has value. I think it would be wild to say that it has no value. It absolutely does. Studies have shown that it does. Anecdotal evidence shows that it does. Um, if I look at most of my that, life that I've been in therapy, because my mother, yes. my mother's a social worker and that was, the, I mean, like if I yes. didn't have that, I don't yes. know who I'd be a hundred percent. So let's like, firstly, get that out there and also say that, you know, the therapeutic relationship is hugely healing there mm -hmm. and just talking and getting your story out. I mean, we know as storytellers how important it is to say, hey, this happened and this was my experience of it, right? That's like yeah. back to be in, seen. in, in really, cave yeah, days, it's to right? To be seen in who you are and without yeah. somebody who has an agenda or like they're just yes. there to to see you. That is the yes. purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and it's back in like, you know, cave cave people times when we're like painting on a cave what the experience was. You know, it, it's so in who we are to tell our stories. So I think that yes. That is irrefutable. I also think that, you know, we can learn a lot um, about why we do what we do. We can learn about attachment theories. We can learn about, you know, uh, our behaviors now. We can just have somebody sort of mirror back to us what we're saying and feeling so that we can sort of digest and, and come up with our own solutions. It's great. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is, is the sort of, you know, official name for what we call 
colloquially as talk therapy, what we refer to as talk therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy engages the cognitive part of your brain, the brain that is what I'm using to speak to you, to talk about, you know, these big ideas, uh, what you're using to listen. Um, you know, it's our cognitive functioning. So if we are being traumatized, that part of our brain is offline. Quite literally, on an fMRI scan, it can show us not lit up. So um, a good way to think about this is if I'm driving down the street and a car almost hits me and I go, <gasps> and it's that 60th of a second reaction in my survival brain and I swerve. I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm going to turn to the left. It's automatic, right? Mm -hmm. That's a part of my brain that is logged online to help me survive. That's my reptilian brain. That's back by the brainstem in the, in the back of my head, if you will, right? So that fight or flight part of my brain, that survival part of my brain, that's what's making those decisions. And that's good. Our brains are designed to, for a short amount of time, be able to go in and out of that stress response to keep us alive, like to outrun mm -hmm. a bear. But the problem is, is that when we are stuck in that <laughs> feeling, day after day, after week, after month, after year, like in an emotionally or otherwise abusive relationship, right? Or in a business that's very difficult mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, whatever the context is. You know, if our brain is stuck in that, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen next? Uh, fight or flight or freeze or fawn state over and over again, then that part of our brain that should just kick on temporarily gets sort of stuck on. And that is not our cognitive brain. So when we're looking at things like anxiety and depression and bipolar and borderline and, you know, all of the, you know, addictions, all of these things that the trauma experts, the foremost, you know, experts in the field, whether it's, you know, the Bessel van der Kolks or the Gabor Mates or any of those folks that, you know, the field has really revered for many years. And it's also important to note, indigenous folks have been doing this work mm -hmm. so much longer than a bunch of like, frankly, white this het men um, yeah. who have who have really profited off of it. And so I think that that's really, really important to note as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they know that these conditions, these quote unquote disorders come from trauma or are heavily influenced or activated by trauma. Right. And so when we are treating these conditions with a cognitive approach, it's the same as my back going out in a car wreck going to a physical therapist, and then just working out my legs. It's not that it's wrong. It's not that my legs aren't going to get a benefit. It's that it's the wrong part of my body. It mm -hmm. cannot digest that experience very well because it's just not where it lives. So the types of modalities that do are the more brain body based ones. So the one that we sort of focus on at Healing Tree is EMDR. Um, that stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. It was discovered by Dr. Francine Shapiro. And basically it uses um, bilateral eye movements or sounds or taps, and it activates the part of the brain that's um, alive during REM sleep, actually, which is really interesting if you look mm -hmm. at how our dreams can help us process our days. And so we're using a natural mechanism of the brain to help us process a targeted experience, um, but we don't have to talk about the details of that experience, which is really great if you're a kid, or if you don't remember. So some traumas are so overwhelming that we don't even code the memories of them, right? We see mm -hmm. that a lot in like sexual assault. So maybe I don't remember the details of an assault, but I do remember, or I do know what I'm feeling now, which is trapped, powerless, helpless, claustrophobic, disgusting, ashamed. Those feelings, I am these things, or I feel these things, I can target in an EMDR session 
while my therapist is engaging bilateral stimulation, whether it's with eye movements, there's a light bar that's fancy. I didn't have that when I was doing it, but a lot of folks use a light bar. I just used fingers. Um, or tapping. You can put your own hands on your legs and they can tap on top of your hands um, or earbuds, bilateral sound. There's also like, by the way, you can just get your own little earbuds and go on YouTube and look up bilateral sound and you can meditate to bilateral sound mm -hmm. and, and that can really encourage neuroplasticity. So that's a modality uh, that has a ton of evidence behind it. Um, it's recommended by the World Health Organization, American Psychological and Psychiatric Association, Department of Veterans Affairs and Defense, International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. Um, and it's been shown as the period of fluxetine, which is an antidepressant in treating PTSD and depression. Um, in a comparison of CBT and EMDR for sexually abused Iranian girls, I'm Iranian, uh, mm -hmm. both EMDR and CBT both produce significant reduction in PTSD and behavior problems, but EMDR was significantly more efficient, using approximately half the number of sessions to achieve the results. And then three 90-minute sessions of EMDR eliminated post-traumatic stress disorder and 90% of rape victims. These are all different studies. Um, and we also have this all available um, on the Healing Tree website. So if you go to healingtreenonprofit.org slash EMDR, you can see the work that we're doing um, to make this treatment modality accessible to the most marginalized communities, namely children in foster care, child welfare, and juvenile justice systems who are 95% of them are below the poverty level. And yeah. so we are sort of shifting the system by saying, all right, if this is cost prohibitive for therapists to be trained in, so a lot of them aren't, we are going to provide sponsorships for scholarships, if you will, for therapists serving the most marginalized communities. And so we have efficacy and stuff like that there. There's other modalities that are also amazing. Um, Evidence-based is, again, not telling anyone what to think, just want to sort of give full context. A yeah. lot of times what is evidence-based has the most money to be evidence-based and have those studies, right? So it's important to note that there are other modalities that may not have like the overwhelming evidence that EMDR does, but that have been shown over and over and over again to be mind-blowingly um, and life-savingly effective. So some of those would be somatic experiencing, sensory motor psychotherapy, brain spotting, um, any of the more mindfulness-based approaches, even trauma-sensitive yoga, art therapy, music therapy, drama therapy, all of these things. And they do have varying levels of evidence, all of them. It's just that EMDR just sort of has like so, so much that, um, you know, it's easier for us to get funding for that to make that more accessible. Yeah. Thank you for going through all of that because I, I think it helps to hear that there are other ways um, to access care mm -hmm. if, say, a CBT experience wasn't the thing. You know, I was mm -hmm. talking to somebody the other day and they were saying they, they weren't hating on therapy, but they were mm -hmm. just like, well, I went, you know, to a therapist once and it wasn't for me. And my response is, I imagine that relationship was probably not great for you, like any mm -hmm. other relationship. And perhaps there is another right. one that is really right. worth your time and exploration. And it's also po right. like possible that this kind of relationship wasn't the thing that you were looking for. And there are other kinds right. of relationships yes. that you can also be looking yes, at yes, yes. as a better way for you to hopefully get back into therapy because, you know, I... Again, right. it is a privilege, a hundred percent, and that to access um, any form of therapeutic model. Um, and there are resources, as you are naming, that are there to hopefully help people who don't have as much privilege to access them. Yes. Um, obviously, that 
in and of itself, like adding of those barriers and then you have to go through those processes yeah. in order to find it is is hard. But So let um, me talk on that because that's yeah, something please. that Healing Tree does with another program. So Great. we're really, really big on this. Um, I like to say that because I couldn't clone my mother, we have an approved care network. So I spoke to you a little bit about our EMDR therapy training program where we are basically sponsoring and facilitating those trainings um, because a lot of therapists want this training, but they get out into the field and they're not trained on this in college, which is wild. And then, um, or grad school or anything, they get out into the field and it's like $2,000 to get the training and they don't come to a lot of smaller locations. So then they have to travel. It's 52 hours of training. It's like three days. Then you have to wait a few months, another three days. So with travel lodging per diem, it's like four grand. So we're trying to shift that. Also, um, in our healing trauma resources, the R stands for resources, and we have something called an approved care network. And what that is, is essentially, it is our way of, um, for free, it is free to both the client and the therapist, we match folks who are suffering with providers who meet their unique needs. This is at no cost to them to do this search. So if somebody has Medicaid, if they say, I need um, a therapist who we're also really big on culturally appropriate care. So if you call up and you say, hey, I live in Chicago, I have a bipolar diagnosis, I have a history of childhood sexual abuse, so I want a therapist who deals with both of those things. Uh, I want a female therapist because I was sexually abused by a man and I don't want to go to a man. I'm black, so I want a black therapist because I don't want to tell people things that they're not going to understand. I want somebody who has as my lived experience. Um, and I'm on Medicaid and I want to do EMDR. If that therapist exists, we will find them. We will vet them. We will have a 30 Amazing. minute phone interview with them. We will make sure that they're competent to treat trauma and we'll get their certificates in these modalities on file. So it's not enough for them to say, yeah, I work with trauma because a lot of therapists are saying that now. And, you know, they actually aren't really trained in these modalities or they just got trained, but they're not really an expert in the modality or they are maybe, but they don't have a lot of the more nuanced abuse understanding. So we do our best and our process has been um, sort of informed by our board of internationally recognized trauma experts on our advisory board. Um, so we try to remove barriers as much as possible. We obviously can't invent a therapist if they don't exist, but yeah. we've had very few folks over almost 10 years, nine years now that um, that we've turned away that we haven't been able to, to match to a provider. So Ugh, unbelievable. I just, <laughs> and that is exactly why you're in this space. I feel like people don't know, truly, people don't know that yeah. these resources exist. And I feel <laughs> I feel a responsibility having a space like this yeah. to at least let people know that it does. Yeah. And Thank so, you. Uh, yeah. And so I'm so grateful that you're doing this kind of work. And I also think it's just, it's really unbelievable to have somebody who is so deeply embedded in both their artistry and also mm. this work. So, I, I mean, I don't know the balance in your own life, but like, I'm going to say like <laughs> evenly, you know, that you're yeah. holding these two yeah. hats so yeah. effectively in a way that is really impacting so many other people and allowing them to hopefully get access to what they need so that they can continue being a more full embodied human. Um, yeah. It's just, I, I feel like what a cool thing as an artist to recognize that the artist part of yourself informs the work that you do that isn't quote unquote artistic mm -hmm. and the quote unquote non-artistic hat, whatever mm -hmm. that is, also yeah. informs the artist self. And that another reminder yeah. that we are really, when we boil it down, just human beings and we are We're able just to humans. do many things. And we are. We, yeah, we contain multitudes and we don't have to label it in order for it to be effective and for it to continuously inform all that we do. I just, yeah. I think it's a perfect, beautiful, loving example. So I mean, I, I really thank you for saying that. And I, I think it's important to note too, that like, 
when we're artists, we, you know, we're holding the mirror up to nature, right? We're the the Greek word for theater is seeing place. So that advocacy part in artistry to me is inextricably linked. And then also just for folks listening who, you know, are artists and want to get involved, we, the entertainment piece of what we do, we do our own stuff, like producing a short film called Silk that was in an Academy Award qualifying festival. um, And we have workshops built around it that deal with psychological abuse, namely gaslighting. We started training uh, high schoolers and college students. Now we've trained the army at Fort Knox and family court lawyers and judges. Uh, We have about an equal number of perpetrators as victims step forward by the end of the workshop, which is amazing. And then we can hook them up with the approved care network. But we also partner with uh, relevant film, TV and theater that's out there. So say you wrote a show or producing a show, directing a show or acting in a show, um, and it deals with loosely the theme of trauma, which I think a lot of theater most. does. I think a yeah, lot of, yeah. Like, most. why else do we write, right? We're, we're processing <laughs> exactly. the human experience. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're in something like that, we offer talkbacks after shows so that we can link your audiences to these resources. You know, we also offer trauma consultants, so mental health experts who can advise if you're in development on a project to make sure that it's accurate, to make sure that it's sensitive, that it's not going to do more harm than good. Yeah. Um, and we also offer fiscal sponsorships for arts projects that are in, in alignment with our mission so that, you know, you can get uh, essentially all the benefits of being a 501c3 without being one. So that can be really great if you're like shooting a film and you want to get camera equipment and lighting equipment donated or rehearsal space donated, right? So there's a lot of overlap. And I love, you know, as an as an actor, I'm, I'm involved in like three shows right now. One, no, I'm sorry, two out of the three are linked up to Healing Tree now. The, yes. the producers learned about it and they were like, oh, let's, let's link. So that's yes. a sweet spot for me. So just wanted to sort of put that out there for anyone who's yes. hearing this, who is in the artistic space and is like, oh, I want to get involved. And then we also have artist advocates who, you know, they typically perform at our annual gala, um, which we just had at the Players Club a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, you know, folks from Broadway, film and television. So folks who really align with this, if, if you're like, oh my gosh, I want to use my light to shine a light on this work and help you all get funding to help more people and and help, you know, be a voice for these causes, please contact me because, you know, artist advocates are really uh, integral to the work that we do. So there's lots of room to get involved. Oh, you're badass. Um, (laughs) For anybody who does want to get in touch with you, either access these resources, have further questions about how they can access something specific for themselves, Mm -hmm. or if they want to bring Healing Tree on in this kind of capacity, what within your boundaries is the best way for people to reach out? What within my boundaries? Um, Okay, so uh, Healing Tree's website is healingtreenonprofit.org. Again, healingtreenonprofit.org. And I know that Jennifer is going to have it all linked up in the show, in the show notes, notes. 100%. So you won't have to worry about it. Um, and then you can also follow us on social media uh, at Healing Tree Org on Instagram and then just Healing Tree on Facebook. You can find that by going to facebook.com slash healingtreenonprofit.org, which is our website URL. So it's pretty easy. If you have any Healing Tree related questions or concerns, you can email info at healingtreenonprofit.org. And I check that email. Maybe that's not within my boundaries to say that, but I do. Um, You'll know if I write you back and it has my name in the signature. So (laughs) might as well put it out there. So any Healing Tree related stuff, send it there. Um, For me personally, you can go to my more, I guess, artistic website, although there is some overlap. Um, I also produce, so there's some producing stuff on there, but mainly it's sort of my performing website, if you will. And that's just my full name.com, marissagavami.com. And then I'm active on social media. I'm most active 
active on Instagram. That's just at Marissa Gavami, M-A-R-I-S-S-A, G-H-A-V-A-M-I. Um, I coach, I do healing trauma-focused coaching for artists. Um, I'm really passionate about it. All the things that we're talking about, I really bring tools that are practical, that are daily, that are usable, accessible, uh, that hopefully are kind of fun and and um, actually really beneficial really quickly to artists. And then we also do the practical stuff. Um, so typically folks just hit me up on Instagram for that. I, I've never really advertised it. I've put it on my story once. Typically people just ask me for help, but I've started saying, you know, I, I'm a coach. So that actually, by the time this airs, I might, I might actually publicly post about it. You're Do welcome it. to slide into my DMs. Um, and then you can email me at marissa at marissagavami.com. That's sort of my like publicly facing email if there's anything right. that you want me involved with. Um, so those are all the ways. Please stay in touch. Please, you know, follow, comment and, and tell me that you heard me on this podcast. That would be so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, for all that you shared, for the resources that you shared, for the stats and the statistics and the <laughs> the work that you are doing um, is really impactful. And I'm sure that the conversation today has lit something up in even a single human's mind about possibility. And that in of itself is a gift. So thank you again for being in this space and for having this yeah. conversation. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. I'm just feeling a ping to say, you know, I talked about how awfully I had it back then. I don't think that I mentioned that I have not had any of those symptoms and I've been on no medication for nine years. So I think it's really important if, if you're feeling that little like, oh, could I heal? Yes, if I could do it, you can. So I think even if one person walks away thinking that they can that they can get better um, yeah. in their own time, in their own ways, then we've done our job today. So thank yes, you, Jennifer, yeah. for creating this space thank and you. for you know providing these resources to your community. I think it's brilliant and um, yes. I'm genuinely honored to be a part of it. And um, thanks for listening you all so this is really fun if something in this episode resonated with you and more importantly if this podcast means something to you it would mean the most to us if you would leave us a positive review this means the most in podcast land and allows us to continue creating these episodes for you weekly if you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some fun, cute merchandise, we have that link for you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then. <laughs>